You can tell a lot about someone's character by looking or trying to answer four different questions. What makes you happy? What makes you angry? What motivates you? And what makes you want to quit? You can tell a lot about a person by those four questions. What makes you happy? What makes you angry? What motivates you? And what makes you want to quit? You can tell a lot about the character of Jonah as you think about those four questions. What makes you happy? What made Jonah happy? What made Jonah angry? What motivated Jonah? What made Jonah want to quit? We can tell that about our lives as well. And today we come to a perplexing chapter as we conclude the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 4. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Jonah chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse number 1 and uh, read through the chapter together. Jonah chapter 4 and verse number 1. Jonah chapter 4, verse number 1. It says, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than live. The Lord asked, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah left the city and found a place east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in the shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head, to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plan. When dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant, and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. And the sun beat down on Jonah's head so much that he almost fainted. And he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant which you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals. With that, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and for your truth in it. And God, just speak to us where we are. Lord, you, again, we just know you know where we are. Lord, challenge us. Help us to recognize that you love the world. May we have that heart. 
In your name we pray. Amen. As we look at the book of Jonah, it really, each chapter kind of can, can run its own outline. Chapter one, we find that God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh and Jonah runs away from God. At the end of that chapter, the sailors throw Jonah overboard because of the great storm that has come, and a big fish swallows Jonah. And in Jonah chapter 2, we find Jonah running back to God and crying out to him in the midst of the fish's belly and coming to that place of recognizing salvation is of the Lord, and I will fulfill my vow, what you called me to do. In other words, Lord, I'm willing to go to Nineveh now. In Jonah chapter 3, he then goes to Nineveh and he preaches what is a five-word message in Hebrew, basically 40 days and you will be destroyed. And we find the whole city repents from the king on down, the whole city. And this is a big city. When it talks about 120,000 that don't know their right from their left in verse number 11, it gives the picture that this is 120,000 people who don't have moral understanding or some believe that maybe this is children. So we're talking about a city that could be from 600,000 to a million plus people. Jonah has gone and preached in Jonah chapter 3. And I don't know... But preachers typically get excited when people respond to their preaching. When people turn their hearts around and people get right with God. That's something that motivates most preachers. But instead, as we open Jonah chapter 4, after he has just run with God and preached this message, we find now Jonah is pouting, trying to distance himself from God we really find that Jonah acts exactly opposite of how you think he would react if a million plus people came to know Jesus as Savior. Man, what a what a major, major decision that would be. All of the standards, uh, metropolitan area of the St. Louis area, a million people plus, if they all came to know Jesus, man, that would be exciting. And instead, Jonah is absolutely displeased. He is bothered. He is ticked off. And so we open Jonah chapter 4, and we find that Jonah is angry with God. And so I want us to think in terms of Jonah's life in Jonah chapter 4, and then take a step back as we kind of look at the whole book, and then step into the New Testament, and think about... Jonah and his attitude at this point in his life. First off, I think what what we see is the expression of a sinful heart as we open this chapter. Jonah is greatly displeased and he is furious with God. Jonah is angry at this point. Henry Brandt, who is a psychologist, said that you need to be careful with the word anger because it is only one letter away from danger. And he summarizes anger this way. Anger is an emotional response of displeasure and or antagonism. An impulse to retaliate or punish, seek revenge. Then he says this. Anger can vary in intensity from mild annoyance that is barely noticeable to extreme overmastering rage resembling insanity. You know what I think here? That Jonah's anger has caused him to be 
unreasonable and even unteachable. And even as we close the book, unreachable. His anger has clouded his mind so much. The expression of a sinful heart. Why is Jonah so angry? Well, as we think about Jonah is angry first for himself. He's angry first for himself. Because, because in Jonah chapter 3, he was told, Jonah, I'm giving you a second chance. You go and you preach. Jonah chapter 2. He says, Lord, all right, man. I cry, uncle. I'm repenting. I'm turning. The, the, the big fish vomits Jonah, and Jonah is now ready to go. So Jonah did what God wanted him to do. But listen, God didn't do what Jonah wanted him to do. Jonah wanted God to wipe him out. God, kill him. He's angry for selfish reasons here. God, I did what you wanted me to do, and now what I want you to do is destroy this Gentile city. Lord, we, we like holding on to the, to the God of creation, the I am, Yahweh ourself. Lord, we don't want those Gentiles out here. Lord, we don't want to have any part with them. Lord, we, we want it in the house. We don't, we don't want you to touch these barbarians. He's angry for himself. But secondly, he's also angry. I wrote at Nineveh, but it makes more sense and in, in later about Nineveh. He's angry about Nineveh. He's angry about Nineveh because he has seen the people repent. He's angry about Nineveh. God, why? Why did you spare these people? What is going on? This just doesn't seem to make any sense. He's angry about Nineveh. But ultimately, his anger was selfish, and his anger showed by his attitude toward those in Nineveh, but he was really angry because of God. Jonah was angry at God. God, I did what you wanted me to do, and you didn't do what I wanted you to do. Notice what he says back in Jonah chapter 4. He says it in, in verse number two, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and the one who relents from sending disaster. Do you ever get angry when God blesses someone else? Do you ever have times in your life where, where you get angry because God does something for someone else and, and you didn't feel like he did that for you or not in the extent? Or if you ever held on to something and said, God, I want you to do this. And if you don't do what I want you to do, that I'm going to be angry at you. God here in his sovereign hand and his sovereign power has just touched a half million to a million plus people. And Jonah is angry. Why? Because God is gracious and compassionate and abounding in love and slow to anger and willing to relent. The very things that Jonah needed in his life. A God who was gracious, a God who was compassionate, a God who was slow to anger. See, the amazing thing about the book of Jonah, I told you when we were in Jonah chapter 2, is that there is a Jonah chapter 2. I mean, 
If I was God and Jonah said no, I'd just say, all right, you're, you're, you're off the scene. I'll just grab another prophet somewhere else. You're gone, buddy. You don't want to be used? I'm a sovereign God, and I have life and death in my hand. You're gone. But the most amazing thing is not that there's a Jonah chapter 2, is that there's a Jonah chapter 4. This even is more perplexing to me. There's a Jonah chapter 4 where after God has touched a half million to a million plus people, now Jonah's complaining to God about it and in his anger and in his ignorance and in his emotion, he's not even thinking clearly. God, I'm ticked off because you're gracious and compassionate. And slow to anger and abounding in love. Matter of fact, if you look at Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7, you find that this is a description that God basically gives of himself. Almost the same exact words are used. And so now, the very things that we need, we don't want someone else to have. Where does that happen? Well, it happens in the church nursery, where I want something and you can't have it, or I saw something and now you can't have it. I once played with something in the nursery in the last few weeks or few months and you can't have it. But you know where else it happens? It happens in the lives of adults who are immature in their faith or distanced from God or who in their anger completely are unreasonable and unteachable. The expression of a sinful heart. But not only do you see the expression of a sinful heart, but then we see the interrogation of a sinful heart. And this is where God steps in. God is going to step in and ask Jonah questions. Now, when God asks questions, he doesn't need to know what your answers are. But God uses questions to show you who you are and to remind you of what you may have done. Think about the questions that God has used throughout Scripture to Adam and Eve. Where are you? Now, that's a pretty good question. Where are you? Who told you you were naked? What have you done? Saul, when he offered a sacrifice, uh, King Saul, before Samuel arrived and Samuel was supposed to offer the sacrifice, the prophet Samuel came to him and said, what have you done? The Lord spoke to Abel, or to Cain, and said, where is Abel, your brother? The Lord spoke to Nathan, the prophet, who went to confront David after committing adultery with Bathsheba and then having her husband killed. The angel, uh, the, the, the prophet Nathan asked the question, why have you despised the word of the Lord and done this evil in his sight. Did you notice what God asked him? Why have you despised the word of the Lord? You knew this was wrong, partner. And why did you do this evil in his sight, in God's sight? Mm. What about Judas when he is coming to betray Jesus? Would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Or what about Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God uses questions. And so God is going to use questions on Jonah to try to break through and to bring him to a sense of spiritual conviction. 
Why, Jonah, are you so angry? Notice, notice what we find in the, the first question in verse number four. Is it right for you to be so angry? And notice in verse number five, as, as Jonah left the city and found a place outside to the east of it. So, so the Lord asked him the question, Jonah, is it right for you to be so angry? I would just tell you, if the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says, should you really be so angry about that? That's really a good time to check your anger. It really is. are, Are you really that upset about that? When the Holy Spirit speaks that to us, that's really a good time to evaluate our anger or our emotion. And notice what Jonah does in verse number five. Instead of Jonah coming to this place and say, you know, man, I really don't need to be that ticked off about this. I mean, he's just saved all these people. It says that Jonah left the city he went out to the east of it. He builds himself a little shelter. So Jonah quits serving God. Jonah leaves and separates himself from everyone else. And Jonah becomes a spectator where now I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to watch. Can I tell you? I've seen this at church. Someone gets upset about something. Should you really be so angry about that? Oh, I am really angry about that. And what do they do? I'm not going to serve here. I'm not appreciated. No one, everyone just takes me for granted. And they, they quit serving. And then they start separating themselves. And then they become a spectator and a critic. That's exactly what Jonah does. Jonah, is it really right to be this angry? What's going on, man? Let me expose your sinful heart here. Not... Now, we would think, again, I mean, if Jonah, you're going to be that angry about it, buddy, I mean, I'm I'm taking you out of here. But no, the Lord instead is compassionate and gracious. And so notice what the Lord does. Jonah goes out, he builds himself a little shelter, and the Lord says he appoints a plant to grow up over Jonah so that Jonah has shade and relief. And amazing enough, For the first time and the only time in the book of Jonah, Jonah's happy. This is the only time Jonah's happy in the book of Jonah. The only time Jonah's happy is when he's sitting in the shade. That's it. Jonah, God responds in grace. But Jonah, God also responds in discipline. And buddy, you want to be hot? You won't be angry? Let me show you what hot's going to look like. So he appoints a worm to kill the plant. And then he appoints an east wind. And notice that word appoint is there three times, right there in those few verses. He appoints the plant. He appoints the worm. He appoints the east wind. And the wind begins to blow. And now that Hebrew word for anger really uh, gives a picture of being hot. We talk about someone being hot-tempered or hot-headed. And so the Lord just says, all right, buddy, we're going to turn the heat up. And so he turns the heat up in Jonah's life out of discipline. Some people believe that maybe God was giving Jonah a little taste of what hell would be like for those who, of that 120,000 plus, those million plus people, if they had never repented. Let me just show you what hot looks like, Jonah. 
And then the Lord follows with a next question. Jonah's first question confronted his and exposed his sinful heart. But his second question exposes Jonah's selfish heart, his selfish heart, because he asks, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Notice, I mean, as we look at this question in verse number uh, nine, God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah, the, the, the joy that you found in that moment, that temporal pleasure, I'm taking it away because that temporal pleasure probably became like an idol in Jonah's life. I just want to be here in the shade. I just want comfort. I just want peace. What is it in your life that can become an idol, that your heart can stay full, far from God, and you can just kind of find relaxation in it? Maybe because I have enough money in my checkbook that, you know, if life gets really hard and I'm not living for the Lord, I still, and I, I can rely. I, I've got a good credit score. I've got money. I've got a house. I've got these things here. And the Lord is teaching Jonah that these pleasures of life are just temporal. That they're just momentary. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And then the third question is God exposing his insensitive heart. Notice as we look Jonah is ticked off about the plant, and he says, man, I'm so mad, I could just die right now. It's interesting, the times that Jonah refers to wanting to die, or God just killing him, or or he should just die right now. But notice the last question that's asked in verse number 11. May I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many Animals. Jonah. Plant. Little value. People. Great value. Plant. Temporal. People. Eternal. Plant. Short lifespan. People. Eternal destiny. And Jonah. Should I not care about the people of Nineveh? You know, God reserves the right to love people that we may not even like. That's what we find in this book. That sometimes we can characterize someone or because a group has done this or said this or acted like this and we just write them off and say, God, just judge them. And God may be asking us the question, is it not right for me to care? Is it not right for me to care? As we think about the Lord speaking in Jonah's life and Jonah just again being unreasonable and unteachable. And as we close the book here, Jonah really is unreachable. Jonah wrote the book and Jonah throws himself under the bus and then closes the book this way. Why? Maybe because Jonah wants to see where you are today. Maybe because Jonah wants to ask, are you acting like me? 
Now, we presume that since Jonah wrote the book, that somewhere along the line, hopefully his heart got right with the Lord again. But I want us to step back now and think of a, an, an, another thought. And as we think of that, we're going to bridge then from the old to the new. So we see Jonah in this expression of a sinful heart and God's interrogation of his heart. But as we really look at the theme of the book, it really is the salvation of a sinful heart. What's the theme of this book? Here's the theme of the book. God loved Nineveh and sent Jonah. That's the picture of the book. That's why we talked about our missionary God. That's why we talked about God going outside of the Jewish people to the Gentiles, to the barbarians even of that day. God loves the world. That God would go beyond Israel. He would go to a Gentile city and call a Jewish prophet to go. God loved Nineveh and sent Jonah. But there's even a greater example from the life of Jonah in the book of Matthew. So take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. And we're going to pick up in verse number 35. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 35. Actually, verse 38. It says this, And some of the scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 12, 38, the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, this is Matthew 12, 39. He answered, an evil and adulterous generation demand a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching and look, something greater than Jonah is here. What do we find here? That the religious leaders are asking Jesus, look, if you're really the Messiah, give us a sign. Well, Jesus has already done two miracles in this chapter. He has healed a lame, a man with a lame hand, and he has cast a demon out of someone who was blind and mute. Jesus has already shown the signs. And Jesus is saying, look, I'm not your cheap magician here who's just going to do signs. But let me tell you the great sign that's going to happen. For as Jonah was in the belly of the fish... So the Son of Man, I'm going to die and be buried, and I'm going to rise again. The message of Jonah, teamed back to the message of Jesus, is God loves the world and sent Jesus. God loved Nineveh and sent Jonah. Now God loves the world and he sent Jesus. Now the religious leaders of this day, they're like, oh man, Jesus, we don't believe who you are. Send us a sign. And Jesus tells them, look, you don't need a sign, but let me tell you, there's going to be one sign that's going to be the granddaddy of them all. That I am going to die and be buried and I am going to come back out of that tomb and I am going to come to life. And the Bible tells us down in John three fourteen. That as, or as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him 
should not perish but have eternal life. And then Jesus comes with a great warning to the religious leaders of that day. And listen, I think it's a great warning to all of us and to our communities. Because Jesus says that those people who repented in Nineveh are going to stand up in judgment and say, hey, man, we only got 40 days of a prophet speaking 40 days and you're going to be destroyed. And you have had three plus years of Jesus being here on the scene with you, preaching and teaching and healing, showing great signs and pointing the way to eternal life. And you didn't respond. And there's a great principle here, and understand this, that the greater the light, the greater the light that is given to you, the greater responsibility that you have to respond to that light and the greater your judgment will be for rejecting the light. Did you catch that? And Jesus is telling these religious leaders, you've had great light, I have been here. And now you have great responsibility and you will have a great judgment for rejecting the light. And I would say for us in our community today that you... You can go and listen on the radio. There, there are uh, churches everywhere. And for those, especially in our nation, with the light all around them, that there will be a great judgment. And even the people of Nineveh will rise up and condemn and say, look, you had the message of Jesus preached and you did not respond. We had a lowly prophet who was half-hearted at best, who didn't even want to see us saved, and we responded to the word of God. There's a great challenge. Listen, the greater the light you have, the greater the responsibility, and the greater the judgment. Now, Jesus tells us something, someone greater than Jonah is here. (laughs) Jesus is greater than Jonah. Jesus was greater than Jonah in his obedience. Jesus was greater than Jonah in his ministry. Jesus was greater than Jonah in his death and burial and resurrection. Jesus is greater than Jonah in his scope of ministry for the world. Someone greater than Jonah is here. And we're all called to say yes to Jesus. Have you said yes to him? In just a few moments, we're going to experience the Lord's Supper together. And this is a time when we say, man, Jesus, we thank you for your body that was bruised and broken for us. And we thank you for your blood that was shed for us. And we take this today in remembrance of who you are and what you have done for us. And out of appreciation and out of a heart of worship, we say, Lord Jesus, praise you, bless you. We remember you. We want to serve you. We follow you. But if you don't know Jesus today, Maybe today would be just a great day, just maybe to not partake of the Lord's Supper. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he reminds us that we do this in remembrance of him. So if you don't really know the Lord, you're not sure, then you can't do something to remember someone that you've never met. But he also warns us believers that if you take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, then you could face discipline as well. And Paul would even go to the extent of saying, Some of you face discipline and some of you have even slept. 
they died. I mean, that's, that's serious stuff. So today, I don't know where your heart is. We see where Jonah's was. But this is not about Jonah. This is about you. About you and us. Where's your heart today? Have you trusted Jesus? Is there something in your heart you're harboring in anger toward God? Maybe you need to deal with that right now. Maybe there's something in your heart that, that you know is not right and you need to deal with it right now. Be careful. Don't partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. In just a moment, we're going to pray. And the band's going to come back up and we're going to open these steps as a place where maybe you just need to pray and talk to the Lord right now. Deal with something in your own heart. Is the Lord asking you a question today? Just like he interrogated Jonah? If so, how are you going to respond? With that, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and for your truth. God, speak and move. And Lord, as we go into this time of reflection, God, would you move? Lord, if there are people that uh, don't know you as Savior today, Lord, draw them to yourself. May they see Jesus, that your death, that your resurrection are the only hope and the only way of salvation. And Lord, for those who are believers today, and maybe their heart like Jonah has just gotten away, and they are straying. They're like the son who has run off. They've left. They're out on a destructive path. God, today, draw them to yourself. May your kindness lead them to repentance, as Romans 2, 4 says, in your name.